machinery that gives abundance has left us in want. We think too much and feel too little. More than machinery, we need humanity. We know the air is unfit to breathe and our food is unfit to eat, as if that's the way it's supposed to be. We know things are bad, worse than bad. They're crazy. I'm a human being. God damn it. My life has value. You have meddled with the primal forces of nature. Don't give yourselves to brutes. Men who despise you, enslave you, who regiment your lives, tell you what to do, what to think, or what to feel, who drill you, diet you, treat you like cattle, use you as cannon fodder. Don't give yourselves to these unnatural men, machine men, with machine minds and machine hearts. <laughs> Jason Hermes. And who loves you? And who do you love? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. It is Reality Rants. I am Jason Burmes. We're going to be breaking down the SDGs or Sustainability and Development Goals. And the fact that they are meant to encompass every single aspect of your life purposely because this is about the regimentation of all human beings which roosevelt to his credit warned us about during the hitler regime because that was very very much a part of the nazi vision for the future hmm? the will to do these things and believe me these people at the top that are directing this have the will and they have their minions spouting and spitting their bernaysian slogans of hate and lies on numerous levels so i've got quite a few clips lined up as we uh, often do on the show kind of makes me laugh you know i i read some of the comments obviously i can't get to all of them uh, I, I may or may not, guys, uh, take your questions and comments over at YouTube, bring them in at some point. But whenever I, I read uh, something, for instance, about like I'm talking more than the people in the clips, yes, talk show. That's what this is. It's, it's, uh, if I was just playing clips and I wasn't breaking them down, number one, you do have the copyright aspects, and I get it. People like sometimes to watch the clips in long form, and sometimes I let a minute or two go by. I'm going to try, uh, especially on this first big clip that we're going to play about the technocracy and the importance of war and the perpetuation of war to keep the economy going. I may back off. I may play that entire clip without me saying a word. Uh, th that one's kind of tough as well because if you listened yesterday, I'm not sure if we even got to it 
on the free portion of the broadcast. But if you were listening on Podbean, you're a premium member, you'll know that we went to Howard Scott, the founder of Technocracy. Maybe it was at the tail end. And essentially, he not only talked about his friendship with Margaret Sanger, but he talked about poisoning the water supply or covertly putting things in candy that would sterilize the population. And he actually um, complained a little bit that Russia had beat us to the punch on uh, putting live V words into uh, candy and distributing it amongst the uh, general populace without their knowledge, without their knowledge, without their knowledge, without their consent. Okay, and that's what collectivism is. And all of this is bringing us into what? Collectivism. They want to crush the individual. And look, Howard Scott, dead at 1970, founder of Technocracy, Inc., is blunt and open and honest with what the plan is. He's telling you there's too many people. He's telling you. There are a class of human beings that get to decide. And that's not the general population. Okay. It's not based on a principle of democracy or one person, one vote, or even a constitutional Republican, or I'm sorry, Republic like we live in, or we were supposed to live in, based in democratic roots. Right, you, you vote for your representatives who then vote for laws and govern. And there's a separation of powers there, right, between the executive, the legislative, and the judicial. Or there used to be. There's not much of one now. Now, they are all being mobilized in a command and control matrix of power. No matter what nation state you live in, these people are coming for you. They are trying to reshape society. And that's what the SDGs really are. That's what ESG is, right? Environmental, societal, and governance encompasses everything. Encompasses everything. And they get to play the part of benevolent saviors as they lecture the rest of us. Disturbing stuff. You know, really, really, and I got a lot of clips of them just bragging about it, just letting you know, like, if you have a business and your business doesn't do what we say, it won't be profitable, it'll go out of business. And of course, these things will be selectively enforced to take out competition and what used to be the uh, middle to upper middle class that would start a small business, maybe open up not a franchise, but two, three, four of those stores. They don't like that. They don't want competition from the little guy because the little guy is an individual. The little guy goes against this collectivist notion. You know, as I'm uh, on the phone yesterday with a Friend of mine, uh, he's been on the show many a time, Pasta Jardula. And you know, we were talking about China and the fact that there's a lot of fear mongering going on 
via China and Taiwan, et cetera. And I said, yeah, that's true because you have 1.2 billion people in that society. And we're seeing just through a very narrow lens what's going on there. And I've often said, you know, it's no longer Chinese style censorship. The censorship is here, just like Google wrote Dragonfly's uh, algorithm. And that was the search engine over there that was heavily censored. We get the same thing here. We, we've demonstrated it how many times now in real time when we do a Google search and all of a sudden something of importance is completely hidden from the search. Completely hidden, just doesn't even come up. Just It's magic. We did it the other day with Bill Clinton discussing the Bohemian Grove. And no matter what context I discuss the Bohemian Grove or Bilderberg, it gets a contextual notice underneath the video at YouTube, Google's video uh, platform, and you know another Trojan horse civilian system of narrative management. How many people have been unsubscribed to my channel? They, these people are protected from lawsuits because they're not supposed to be editors. They've gone well beyond that. They're, they're, I mean, they elevate certain posts and suppress others. It's not a free market. It's not a free market of ideas. That's not, that's Johnny nonsense. It's not real. Okay. It's not real. So, we're going to get into that. We'll see, like I said, if we can get into some questions and comments. I haven't talked to you guys in a while. It's probably been over a week since we did that on the show. I do want to start with something fun. And I guess it really depends on you know what your definition of fun is. But in this cartoon verse of ridiculous on every end and every angle, you got to be able to laugh. And one of the things I really love to do is laugh. I like to smile. I like to laugh. I like to be content. I, I, I don't like to stress out over situations, right? Even when situations are tough, you know, I try to find a solution and move on, not let it occupy space and bring in all that negative energy. That being said, I have a hard time believing that John Fetterman won a legitimate election in Pennsylvania where there was a lot of hoo-ha and dibba-da-doo in the prior election, in the 2020 election. Just a lot of wicked and whapping and booping and bop. Don't want to say anything too specific. Apparently, Fox News is paying out three quarters of a billion dollars in the Dominion suit. Might want to... Uh, let that be a lesson to everybody and not mainstream media in particular or even alternative media. Everybody, watch what you say and the context in which you say it. You know, you may just be on the internet now. You never know what's happening one year down the line, five years down the line, 10 years down the line. Might not even be a lawsuit. They're criminalizing speech at a rapid rate. Okay. Watch what you say, watch what you do. And even though I question that, I mean, whether you liked Mehmet Oz or not, he was a TV star. And, and, and once again, whether the authoritarian gods and mainstream media want to admit it or not, I hope there's a consensus of common sense out there that knows that the culture that we live in 
is one of celebratardiness. It's a celebratard culture. People emulate, and in many cases, whether they subconsciously are doing it or knowingly do it, worship celebrity and celebrities, period. In many cases, because of the dopamine aspect, okay, and the regularity, the familiarity of a talk show host that you see every single day, day in, day out, smiling while, while the nice flicker rate's going on the TV, right? You relate to that person sometimes more than you do a friend or family member. That's reality. And that person lost to a guy who had recently had a stroke and couldn't speak. And then it's not just it's not just a congressional election either. Now, Congress would be bad enough. This is a Senate election. In a Senate election, you get two senators, no matter what. That's the even playing field of the states. Whereas, obviously, in Congress, depending on jurisdiction, population, that's how many um, representatives you have for those districts and areas. So it varies from state to state, obviously. But senators, too, pretty important. You know, it goes into the House, which is Congress, then the Senate, then the executive. That's how it works. And they put this guy in and he can't talk at all. I mean, not only were you going up against a celebrity, but you can't talk. Now, once again, you have to believe and be gaslit into thinking that the TDS, the Trump derangement syndrome was so great, was so overwhelming that it carried over another two years into a uh, state election. Then the guy, like as soon as he's in, he still can't speak. There's really no footage of him actually doing his job, just sitting there with like an interpreter. And he goes into the hospital supposedly for depression for six plus weeks. I don't like any of that. But that's where it starts to get wild. Um, you know, from a distorted screenshot picture of a video that I was able to play and find here. Uh, and that was highly compressed and it looked like it was actually distorted as in moved in, squished. You know, I could have a banana face too. And all of a sudden people were saying the Fetterman double, the Fetterman double. We did in real time uh, a Photoshop screenshot of Fetterman overlaid of the Fetterman double to show people that it was really a trick of the camera. And that was absolutely him. And it was not a body double. Well, Fetterman's back, and again, I've talked about having a little sympathy for him recently because when he was asked about running for president or seeking higher office by the uh, mainstream Mockingbird media, he said, look, I'm more concerned with taking my kid out to the restaurant he wanted to go to for his birthday because I missed that. That's a little more important. I'm with you, John. We are on the same page there. And this video right here makes me like the guy. He, it really, it makes me more sympathetic uh, to John Fetterman. Hey, everybody, it's me, Senator John Fetterman. And I just want you to know that I'm back and I'm feeling great 100%. And you know, during my time during the hospital, the fringy fringies really came up with a conspiracy that I have a, a body double. 
And I just want you to know that is just crazy. That's not true. And I go, you know, dude, John, what event am I supposed to be doing this afternoon? Dude, really? Yeah. I, I, I got I to stop it right there. I don't want the copyright strike from the from the just the two of us. You and I, right? I love Bill Withers, by the way. Bill Withers, great. Now, when I watch this, after the initial smile, right? <laughs> What did I really think? Well, if you go back to it in the very beginning, um, you can kind of see him right there looking off camera. You see that? He's looking off to the side if you're if you're watching on the web. Well, obviously, he's reading off a script. But the fact that he was able to get, I think, what it was it, a full 12 seconds before they had to do a cut and there was a possible stutter there, right? I wondered... <laughs> How many times did it take him to get that take? Because he's clearly still not well, right? But at least that's funny. And and I hope there are people out there with a sense of humor. <laughs> because I like to laugh. You know, that, 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 bravo, sir. Way to play into that one. I, I, I actually did enjoy that one. Just because, look, we are talking politics. It is of a serious nature. But when the counter argument is as ludicrous as it was, that's warranted. That's completely 100% warranted. Okay. So now what we're going to do is before we get to the SDG stuff, before we get to your questions and comments on the inside, and we're also going to play uh, an extended watch along on the premium portion of the broadcast with Robert F. Kennedy Jr. obviously running for president on his speech about Fauci and, you know, drills like Crimson Contagion and Event 201 and Lockstep and things that we probably can't get away with talking about on this channel still to this day. But I want to show you that the people at the top or the people that are behind this ideology of command and control, of an AI rule, of the regimentation of all human beings, and, and eventually the genetic modification on a multitude of levels of what it is to be human, if you can even call us that. So they, they want to go to their evolutionary scale, and they want to take homo sapien and make homo superior. You get it? But in their image, in their image, not, and that's kind of the irony out there. You know, obviously Christians believe that God made us in his image. Well, they're inverting that just like so many things are inverted. And once again, this is the guy yesterday who, if you didn't see it, you didn't hear it, I would encourage you to at least go back and, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, go listen to the Podbean. Uh, maybe that's really one of the ones the producers should cut that clip out of the premium. Uh, I think that is an important, that, that would be a good one for Twitter. It probably ends up being about a 10 minute segment. Okay, well, again, about poisoning the water supply, okay, so they can sterilize people. And what does unzip genes start out with? It, it starts out with our Supreme Court and jurisprudential limit, uh, luminary Oliver Wendell Holmes saying 
The principle that sus sustains compulsor compulsory boople duple, use the V word, is broad enough to cover the fallopian tubes. Three generations of imbeciles are enough. So in other words, sterilizing the feeble-minded. It's right here in Buck versus Bell that the eugenic sterilization of the feeble-minded was constitutional. It's right there. It's right there. It's the forward of this thing. It's this talking about transgenics. They call it transgenics. Let me repeat that. Transgenics. Transhumanism. Transgender is on the road to that. So in this clip, um, I think it's a good companion piece to something like Why We Fight. Why We Fight, great documentary. I can't believe that thing is probably, man, it's probably over 15 years old and closer to 20 years old. And explains the military-industrial complex and this need for constant conflict. But in this, the same guy that's calling for, you know, sterilization of the population um, through unknowing means, right, without your consent, is also talking about how we need the war machine. Without the war machine, the U.S. economy collapses. It's a pretty, you know, bleak view of society and the world and reality. I don't believe that. That I, I think, again, that is an inversion that somehow we have to have war and death and horrific things occur to have stability in our country. I think it's a complete misnomer. And these are the same people, though, that are going to tell you they have solutions to all your problems. And they've been telling you that they have solutions to all your problems. Not your problems, but everybody's problems. We're going to solve world hunger and homelessness. We're going to stamp out crime. We're going to have more equitable solutions. SDGs. And we're going to get to those. But first, I'm going to play this rather long clip. I'm going to, I'm going to try to sit back. I'm going to try to let this six-plus minute clip play on its own. All right? And it's got some B-roll in the background or whatever of uh, this guy's place, Technocracy, Inc., but Howard Scott, dead by 1970, talking about the war machine and its necessity. Here we go. We'll say this is wasted uh, horsepower or pleasure horsepower. Or... Yeah, but if you double uh, the percentage in prime movers in industry, you'll have uh, an addition of around 16 million to the present employment. You aren't going to operate. Now, it's the same attitude as we have towards peace. I know many of these Quakers and others that are insane. And uh, For instance, there's a pamphlet, pamphlet done on nuclear devices by saying that's uh, pretty excellent technical. But, therefore, complete disarmament complete destruction of all nuclear devices, all bombers, planes, missiles, bases, everything else. And uh, they want peace. Well, they say, uh, are, are 
are you in favor of peace? We said, yes. Oh, well, then they're all interested. We, we say, we like your program. Uh, but we are for it on an entirely different basis than we think you're for it. What do you mean? Well, if you're for disarmament, complete disarmament against nuclear warfare, well, then uh, you should be with it. Well, that's very interesting. Uh, do you realize the consequences that if you got this peace that you're advocating, it would mean the total elimination from the budget of the United States, of your war material and all dependent material? Yeah. We'll take the United States now and leave the rest of it out. Well, it would be an addition of somewhere between 14 and 16 million. You're existing unemployed. That's why we're for your program. Are you prepared to face the consequences? Oh, no, no, no. Oh, you want this system and you want uh, peace and have this system the way it is? Well, you're crazier than hell. <laughs> no, we're, we're hard-boiled realists. We'll back it up with facts and figures. Mm -hmm. And we know what we're talking about. And nobody ever gives us a battle, do they? Any place. Universities, any Canada, United States, no. Do you feel uh, then that there is no possible way of uh, gradually dismantling the war machine? Well, what? Without, without ruining the economy? When you get into a process of gradualism, sir, uh, will the process of gradualism equal an acceleration, the technological acceleration, which is also accelerating? May I ask you that? Well, you're way over my head now. Well, wait a minute. This, this technological process, any philosophic, moral, or subjective statement that is made today by anyone, yeah is invalidated and rendered obsolescent and stupid by the next 15 minutes of technological acceleration. Completely out in the void. Yes. So that te technologically, uh, there is no question but what the thing has to go on exactly as it is going on now, or primarily as it is. No, no, no. But uh, the people who are advocating peace are not prepared. They, they want the same status quo as you have now, economic status quo. Yeah. Well, but you, you won't have it. No, you certainly won't. And wouldn't. you won't have it if you go on producing the war equipment either. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. But if you were to suddenly uh, abolish all the missiles, nuclear devices, planes, uh, bases and everything around the world and destroy all the conventional arms, uh, this country couldn't run. This country is a warfare state. Yes, indeed. With certain welfare emoluments dispensed and very much filtered. Yeah. In fact, almost completely filtered out before it reaches the lower uh, 50, 60 million. And you feel uh, 
technologically, this is a condition which is uh, bound to be maintained. Or if it is not maintained, uh, it would mean economic ruin. Uh, you mean the war thing? The war uh, production, the war economy that we have. Well, what, what are they going to substitute? See, we're losing jobs at the rate of about 35,000 a week from technological advancement. Yeah, 35,000 a week. Every damn week in the year. Mm. Besides that, you've got your youth coming out of high school. You have a million three hundred thousand who graduated last year that the Department of Labor, Goldberg, and President Kennedy admit and publicly claim have never been employed. Yeah. They are not on the unemployed list now, understand. They never had a job, so they just never had a job. Yeah, yeah, they're not. Therefore, they're not employed. Yeah, but they've never had a job. You've got a million seven hundred to a million eight hundred thousand. There's only a few days left in June, and they'll be here. Now we've been talking about technological processes, and we've devised a lot of ourselves. And we've gotten a lot of help from almost anybody that ever designed any piece of equipment or process, uh, whether they agreed with us or not. If they did much of it, they came to the same conclusions uh, as we did. Let's break it down. They came to the same conclusions we did. And I think that whole thing is based on a misnomer. First of all, it's an all or nothing argument. Right. That's not real. Now, no one is saying that you can disarm the world because, look, there are bad people and people lie and institutions like the military are run by people. That's that's one of the huge things out there that uh, I don't think people get. I'm not one of these guys that says he has all the answers, but. I, I very much believe that it is people driving this. Now, whether or not there's some kind of a spiritual or what people would refer to as a supernatural underlying cause to all that, I can't prove or disprove at all. Okay, I can tell you that I, I find it extremely bizarre that it seems like the people at the top have had this generational nepotistic style of indoctrinating theirs and those around them in this occult fashion and the occult really just means hidden knowledge but then you look at the symbolistic and ritualistic aspect of some of the things that we publicly know about via the bohemian grove and others and that takes me back because we're talking about technology, nuclear power, nuclear weapons were actually referenced in that video. And where does that come out of? The Bohemian Grove. And every time you scratch some kind of large technical technological breakthrough that is presented to the public, because there, I'm sure there are a lot of technological breakthroughs the military industrial complex has and has done that are not shared with the public. But whenever it is shared with the public, whether it be nuclear in nature or say the Large Hadron Collider, there's a weird occultic aspect to it. 
very dark, very dark. So I think that that's a misnomer. I think that obviously on just about every level, just in case the world's a big place, you need a military. You don't have to disband all the bases, et cetera. But you don't constantly need to be drone bombing and smart bombing and enslaving people. But that's that's what you need for the technocracy. See, that's why he likes it. Because it's enabled things like the war of terror where you can go into Afghanistan, you can do iris scans of everybody, and then that can be expanded later on into the blockchain people World Economic Forum IMF program where they're already running on a digital currency based in the blockchain based in global governance. That's why in reality, this guy says we need to keep perpetuating the war machine. You know, he's talking about this during the Kennedy era. Remember, he's dead by 1970. And obviously, technology at that point really didn't automate a ton of people out. People ended up working in the factories with the machines. Some jobs were automated out. Other jobs were created. Now, the question is, with algorithmic artificial intelligence in which creativity is being crushed and one narrative is being pushed, now do the actual creatives get pushed out, right? Along with people that have already been automated out. He also mentioned the welfare state as part of it. Well, the welfare state and the war state, they have to coincide. Because when people are productive, they're happier. And when people are productive, society is producing. Whether that's products or services. And let me argue this as well. Earlier before the video, I alluded to the fact that we've often been promised um, imagination land things, such as we are going to solve world hunger. Well, you actually solve world hunger and you build an infrastructure for people of electricity and clean water, right? So, something, you know, Things like the Peace Corps and others, to their credit, have done in, in a small regard. World's a big place. You'd have more people. That This idea that somehow the population would stabilize itself, if you were not poisoning those people and they were, they were being prosperous and they could eat all those people that are still in the third world nations, some have been brought up to second, even first world status. That's also real, largely in part to technology, by the way. But if there was a concerted effort there via our military, actually helping build up those types of infrastructure, right, without this overarching command and control system led by the United Nations, right, and, and uh, as I said, the IMF earlier, because that's what it really is. It, it's, it's a globalist ideal set. And that's kind of like the, the mode in which they're doing it. That's just one of the organizations that are a driving force behind it. They don't have an original idea in their head. They're being dictated to by what some would call elites I call the predator class. That, that's the real deal. So they promote this stuff. It gets in there. We could have a military that not only built the infrastructure, but here at home, you know, we produce MREs, storable food. That's just the start, 
right? We could, we could be talking about heirloom seeds around the world. If we wanted to stomp out world hunger and do all those good things that they talked about, that would be an easy way, an easy way, and be embraced, by the way, by, by the indigenous, indigenous people. We're not going around in units uh, and everybody's a spy and everybody feels threatened. We're letting people do their own thing. But that's never been the goal. Although that's the type of thing that's portrayed by the United Nations in a place like Syria with the white helmets. Again, inverting reality. It's an inversion. Okay. So with that being said, uh, you know, I think that's a false argument, but it shows you the mindset of the cult of doom, right? The prophets of doom that constantly say things like the world is going to end. Now the war machine is completely unaccountable, by the way, of their carbon output. They don't have to report anything. Their carbon emissions. No one knows what the military's carbon emissions are, especially globally, since their weapons testing, in large part, guys, guess what? It's classified. Takes takes place offshore. I mean, also within the United States, also uh, around the world, but often weapons tests are away, far away from any prying eyes. Just want to put that out there. Okay? So that's completely unaccountable. That shows what a farce this is on its face. We have to come up to come up with that, but that's not even talked about. And these same people are going to push the sustainability and development agenda. So let, let's uh, let's start with this little groveler. And I want to I want to show just really quickly, you know, there's 17 of these things. 17 STGs. And even that has a dark root in symbolism, right? For, for those that are, are not aware, Truthstream Media did a great documentary called The King of the World, where they show you at the 50th World Economic Forum, they actually crown Prince Charles in the SDGs that went above his head. And although there's only 17 of them, they split one down the middle in, in the in the center, right? And and developed it into two at the top so they could get their six, six, six margin. You think that's by accident? And they're like showing the graphic designer and how hip and cool it is. This one, we're not gonna stay silent for six minutes. Uh, let's start kicking off these uh, sustainability videos right now. It was a much greater effort in the design of the Sustainable Development Goals to identify targets or pieces of these goals that spoke to each other. So what you see here in this fairly complicated mosaic are the 17 goals. And, and what you see in the colors is the goals that speak to, or, or I'm sorry, the, the targets um, that speak to whether they're environmental, economic, or social in nature. Social in nature. I'm a non-threatening, soft-speaking guy that loves you. And this is techno-fascism. This is the technopoly, not a technocracy, unless you're using the term as a bureaucracy. But really, since you not only have the private sector working on a lot of the technologies um, that we're now seeing, but in partnership, with the Defense Department, who has already developed some of these technologies and is now getting ready to scale them up and release them to the public. 
They have to have control over that. Like, because if there is cheap or even free energy out there, do you think they want to give that to the people? That you think they want to give them something that is a basic necessity that you have to pay a bill for every single month and not just one in most cases. You know how many bills I get? I think I got Mid-American Energy. I got Bettendorf uh, Municipality. Okay, I've got my water bill on top of that. Just like, okay, well, what's next? Plenty. Plenty. Oh, oh, you got you got a gas whatever. You got a gas bill. Now, if you don't need any of those things, that's a big deal to a lot of people. And especially when they're starting to charge more and more for energy. And they have these smart meters. And they're telling you, okay, that for, first of all, think about it, SDG. So societally, they're telling you human beings are bad. You need to do more to do less. You have, need to use less by doing more. <laughs> Again, inversion of truth. And then, <clears throat> you know, environmentally, you're doing the right thing, but we're going to regulate it with the government, ESG. You get it? Let's, let's continue on with Spank Tangle here. And so what this kind of little color kind of mosaic demonstrates is that you look at any of the goals, and I know it's hard to read, but if you take energy or water, you see that the targets under that goal actually speak to social dimensions of development, environmental dimensions of development, economic dimensions of development, much, much more explicitly than was the case in the Millennium Development Goals. So there's a much more concerted effort to develop a much more integrated approach to how these goals and targets actually play out. Doesn't mean there can't be quite a bit more improvement, but there was a strong effort to try to make that happen. In other words, they are mobilizing to try to encompass everything you do into these goals so there can be some kind of global regulation via treaty that individual governments sign on to. In fact, yesterday, we played one of these small island nations that was being praised by the propagandists, by the high priests of this. Because, you know, they, they were already impacted by climate change. Oh, my goodness. There are hurricanes on an island nation. Really? Wow. Hurricanes on an island nation. Man-made climate change. And actually, I think they actually use the term global warming, which is, ooh, that's so, so taboo. So let's see. We're, we're going to play the rest of this clip. Or maybe we'll even cut. We, we are going to play the whole clip. Uh, but I do want to do some questions and comments with you guys. So when we hit, I don't know, 50 at the latest in the next seven minutes, we're going to scroll through some questions and comments. So get them in. Maybe we'll go backwards so we can do the, uh, the newest ones first, the most relevant. And, and I'd say the fourth thing, so more transformative, more comprehensive, more integrated. And the fourth characteristic of the sustainable development goals that I think is worth mentioning is that they're... And perhaps the thing that is most most uh, is uh, most profound is this idea of universality. 
whereas the Millennium Development Goals were largely about how the rich world can pay for things to improve the condition of the developing world. See, this, the, <laughs> again, back in the day they were selling it to you is, the United States is benevolent, we're gonna help the developing world, we're gonna do all these great things. Look what we did in South America. Okay, look what we did in the Middle East. It's not just us. It's global superpowers. But again, now they're trying to get this universality. And if you if you read the leave no one behind, leave no one behind right there. Leave no one behind. What does it say? Together as one, one for zero. Remember when you were alone together to stop the spread and, and bend the curve? <laughs> I'm saying bend the curve. That's in beyond the reset. It was flatten the curve. Remember that? Together is one. One for zero. There's no such thing as net zero carbon emissions because carbon is a light. We are carbon-based beings. Okay, and carbon dioxide is a life force on the planet. Actions by all, benefiting all. Actions by the North, benefiting the South. Actions by the South, supported by the North. It's applicable for all. Global norm. This is the new normal. It's universality as a shared humanity and as a shared destiny. This, this is the techno-fascist takeover, the usurping of individual rights, period, globally. This is what they want. There has been a, a, a real seismic shift in moving towards an agenda that would speak to all countries. And so I just, this, this is a little schematic that we came up with, where if you look at the left, that Millennium Development Goals were basically actions that the developing countries would take that would be that would be paid for supported by the developed world largely through aid from there we are moving towards a recognition that we want an agenda that is universal so that not only speaks to poverty or deprivation in the developing world but poverty or deprivation around around the in all countries so that's that second box about this concept of leaving no one behind but beyond that it's also another concept that's been embedded into this called kind of policy coherence for development. And what this concept is trying to say is that it also matters what policies one country has that may support or undercut efforts of another country to tackle poverty. So for example, it's not just aid that the rich world may give if they have trade policy that in some way hinders the ability of agricultural development in certain countries, that that is a problem. So no free competition. I mean, that's what he's saying right there. No competition within nation states. If it hinders another country, that's not going to be allowed. I mean, think about this. Everything he's talking about is control over vital resources, whether it be energy or food, right energy or food 
and how they will decide. But he says it very gently. Now, he's not wearing, you know, a pink sweater or a purple sweater like Bill Gates. Or if you watch the uh, second hour replay that I put out yesterday, Alex Karp, they're not wearing that. Right. The non-threatening thing he's got. But this ties a little beige. He's skinny. He's got glasses on. He's an academic. He wants to save the world universally. So that we need to look at an agenda that actually gets greater coherence in trade policy, in support for R&D, in migration policy, in financial system stability, all of these things that could have a spillover effect that could undercut development efforts in other countries. So that coherence in policies is a part of the agenda. And finally, it's also about collective action. Coherence in policies across the board collectively. This is why I talk about collectivism. And I don't say socialism, communism, collectivism. That's collectivism masked as globalism. But the two shall merge in their divine vision of a new world order. Recognizing that the world now is facing not just issues that pertain to specific countries. There are bigger problems, take climate change, is a collective action problem that there needs to be mobilized a global response. The mobilization of a global response outside of nation states and what they want to do for climate change. It's all here. They just come out and say, but they say it in a manner that's non-threatening. And again, it's something we must do. We must make it universal. So when we talk about a uni universal agenda, which is what this agenda aspires to achieve. Agenda, 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 agenda. I said agenda five times. It is, it is a quite, a, quite a rich mix of different things that have been included that actually make it, make it very exciting if, if it can be realized. I mean, there's, there's the smirkles. And just like the tech, technocratic guy, Right there, Howard Scott and the other dude are sitting there laughing while they're talking about the perpetual war machine. It's funny. If we can get them through. <laughs> All right. Let's see what we got for questions and comments. There we go. We're going to go up, up and down. Let's see. We will make everyone poor in the name of equity. A Logan's run world is the end goal. No, it's worse than that. A post-human future. That's not the, I wish a Logan's run world was just the end goal. I don't, I actually don't wish that either. I want a free humanity that embraces technology to empower us. I hope AI, when they uh, let it lose, see the elites as a threat, not the people. I, 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 there, I, I don't think there is a thing like artificial intelligence in the manner that they're selling you, even what the muskernuts is selling you on, on Tucker last night, because there was an extensive conversation on that is. I think it's a, again, command control mechanism of those that write the algorithm. I don't think it's going to do what you think it's going to do. I, I am more under the mindset that it's going to be like uh, Westworld and a Rio BIM or something like that. I think that was what's it what it's called, a little scheme they came up with. Yeah, they were using the term scheme yesterday. Come on, Jason, what's a little brain chip for the greater good? <laughs> no mas. And the thing is that they wanted to go beyond brain chips, as Kurzweil tells you, 
and into small bio nanotech that will shut off your actual nervous system and let you embrace a meta reality somewhere else and experience something completely different. Um, look at the left. There it is. I don't know what that is. End of American exceptionalism. Well, it's by design. Okay. It's not, we're, we're, it was never really American ex exceptionalism. You know, th this has been a, a vehicle, a tool, if you will, of an agenda where we were able to mask what we were doing militarily on behalf of this new world order, whether it be in South America or the Middle East eventually, in a flag, in the Constitution and Bill of Rights. Post-World War II, things went off the rails. And that's another reason the technocratic guy likes war so much, because that's where authoritarianism comes in. That's where power is at its greatest and most concentrated. When those type of things are going on, people suspend their rights and freedoms. They take ration tickets, right? Propaganda is heavy and deep. Rosie the Riveter, all that. Beware the buzzwords. Slogans help with brainwashing. That is correct. Business as usual for the predator ruling class and new normal for the zeros. Believe in God F's up their illusion every single time. Yes, we are the carbon they want to get to zero. We will be sliding uh, in Mexico soon enough. They aren't playing nice uh, with the NWL. That's a good, I, I don't know about that. You know, like if you don't think the cartels uh, are, are basically run by intelligence and our intelligence in particular, I mean, come on. Who really got in trouble during Iran Contra? Uh, yeah, Iran Contra. Uh, there, there's black ops exists, and it's not a Call of Duty game. Okay, that's you know, it's not what it is. Um, let's see. We got a fire hazard yesterday. Shouldn't be? Shouldn't we be liberating Latin America? Yeah, we're we're big liberators. Ty Rich offer the developing world technology, et cetera, in exchange for their freedom. It's a fairly simple setup. Uh, wait, now who he's yelling. Who is yelling? Let's see. Yeah, make sure to click the comments. By the way, almost 300 people watching. Can we get 150 before we go? And by the way, I haven't plugged one time. I, if you think about it, guys, you listen to an hour of talk radio or, or watch a show that has the commercials. Your hours down to 40 minutes. You know, this, this is straight through. I usually start 30 to 60 seconds early to, to get the intro in there, which is a couple minutes. Other than that, we're going. We're, we're, we're full throttle information here. So if you do want to come over, uh, I got a ton of clips left, including uh, we got to get to the Robert F. Kennedy Jr. speech because we can't do that here. Uh, and, and right now, this is the guy I'm behind. Sorry if that hurts people's feelings, um, but he's the one talking about DARPA, DARPA, DARPA when no one else is talking about DARPA, 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 among a multitude of other things. Uh, we got plenty more sustainability to get to, a little social credit score fun and all that goodness, but it's going to be at redvoicemedia.com slash Jason, redvoicemedia.com slash uncensored. 
Join today for a dollar for the first week. Cancel if you don't like it. 10 bucks a month or lock it, lock it, lock it in for a year. 100 bucks, save 20. Uh, May 1st, bigger lineup, more people coming on. Uh, I know they just brought yet another person on. It's in my Twitter feed. So um, Red Voice Media growing, grow with us and help support this broadcast and let them know that Jason Burma sent you. All right, let's take some more questions and comments as we do this. And again, and we'll be going over there at the uh, top of the hour. Let's see. Opt out. They literally put a meter that reads opted out. Shame on me. I live in Minnesota. This winter, my average combined heating and electric bills were $500 a month. It is nuts. Think about Europe. Yeah, the 500 is a lot. You, you, ain't, you ain't lying, sister. You ain't lying. Maybe the kid was escaping. Uh, look who our POTUS is. Dun, dun. <laughs> uh, let's see. Do more by doing less. Let's see. Secret to the universe is 369, Tesla said. I'm not aware of that. I, I haven't done deep dives into Tesla. Here and there, I'll be doing research and it comes up. And the, the problem with that is there are a lot of interpretations of Tesla. There's a lot of uh, Johnny nonsense out there with Tesla. I like source documents. The more source documents there, the better. And I, I think that helps give uh, a much better understanding of the, the kind of technologies that not only he was working on, but may have perfected, right? Let's see. Watching local news, a toddler squeezed through the White House gates and guards grabbed him, carried him out like an animal. I haven't seen this. So that's what you were talking about. Haven't seen it. Uh, let's see. Yeah. Did Tesla discover free energy? He may have. He was, he was an open circuit, not a closed circuit, guys. Turtleneck tyrant. Yes. Turtleneck tyrant. Let's see. He wants what's best for us. Sure he does. Um, where's my tap out shirt? I don't know, Toothless, but I mean, we got the uh, we got the flaming affliction hoodie. It's a light hoodie. That's why. I mean, this, this these are about as paper thin as it gets. It's almost like a throw over, if you will. Um, weapons testing and biohazard work best done away from prying eyes. Also correct. That is that is absolutely what's happening. Fiat is a confidence game. Better yet, a pyramid scheme. It's a legal pyramid scheme, just like. Uh, the stock market is really legal gambling and it's not, it's almost beyond legal gambling. It's legal gambling with outward cheating. That's non-prosecutable, right? Like cause if you're a casino, usually you're going to work something out with local authorities. There's going to be some skimming, but you never know. There could be a federal investigation. You don't pay those guys off, right? They're not part of the team. And the United States system and what they do, you know, COVID-1984 rolls around. They just shut down the stock market. Whoopsie. Oopsie. That's it. That's not really the same thing, right? Casinos only close, right, when things like COVID-1984 happen. Now, they'll kick you out if you're winning too much. They'll say, don't come here anymore. For sure, you do a little bit of card count. You might get a, you might get a little something else illegal going on in the back room. But hey, that's here nor there. Okay, that's going to be the signal that we are going over 
to uh, the paid portion of the broadcast. Remember, I'm a documentary filmmaker. All my films are free. They're at a multitude of locations, including redvoicemedia.com. All the links are down below for supporting the broadcast and checking stuff out. Uh, we put a, even an extra up over at Rockfin of me hosting Making Sense of the Madness and discussing uh, Miriam Hanane and Simon Esler's film with them. Really fun show. So ton of material out there. Uh, almost too much Jason Burmis out there at this point. So uh, please check that out. And remember, you can listen free right now. You want to keep listening to the broadcast. You don't want to come over to premium. Okay, I understand. It's over at Podbean. Listen to the whole thing in the background for free right now. And remember, every day we also release premium from two weeks ago. You can check that out at redvoicemedia.com as well. So one at a time, we're going to go. Rockfin, love you. See you later, YouTube. Uh, goodbye, Rumble. And uh, that's going to do it before we get into the next STG video with um, little Mr. Sustainability Man. I'm just going to wait for a little text key and hutch, make sure that we are broadcasting live before I continue. But yeah, again, these guys are, are just open about their fascism, open about their takeover. But they do it in a calm tone and they tell you it's what's best for you. And you just have to adhere to it. Again, you don't have free will. This is the techno-fascist takeover. So that being said, we are good to go. And uh, here he reveals a little bit more of the agenda. And remember, he, he just talked about the evil climate change, the ever-encompassing climate change. Can we also talk about domestic resources, the resources that governments raise and spend in a much more thoughtful way? Can we talk about how to actually mobilize and direct private finance to things that matter for development? So there's a whole set of questions, both about how to make ODA smarter, more targeted for the challenges that we face today, but also how to have a conversation that goes beyond ODA to look at domestic resources, to look at private finance. So again, this is a private takeover of your global and domestic resources. How do we how do we do that? How do we take it all over? That's just a danger, Will Robinson. Danger. A third issue um, that I think is actually quite important is climate change. We have the Paris summit coming up in December, an increasing recognition, right? Climate and development inextricably linked. Inextricably linked. So so again, the fantasy here it is we need the command control fascistic partnership the public private partnership where we just do what we want and if you don't like it we say climate change if you don't like it too bad we said climate change uh you can't really solve and eradicate extreme poverty if we have four degrees of warming um, and so there's a recognition that you really needed to bring climate into the sustainable development goal agenda. This was originally resisted because people felt, let's have the climate conversation in the climate negotiations. Don't mess up the development, sustainable development negotiations. We've been able to overcome that. And I think we actually have a reasonably robust integration of the climate agenda into the various kind of goals, targets, and the narrative 
of the sustainable development agenda, but there's still some thorny questions about how you really bring these two agendas in a more coherent way together. Robust, how do we bring them into a coherent way together? No, no, they said leave the climate issue alone. How can you leave the climate issue alone? They integrate with the, sustain the sustainable development goals. I mean, again, the takeover of everything, everything. It's step by step. It's the gradualism that was actually uh, discussed by the technocracy folks. And that's, um, that, is, that, is, that is still to be sorted out. The fourth question is about universality. So I think this is probably the biggest question on my mind, which is, this is a voluntary normative framework, right? It's, it, it, is, it, it is only going to work if people truly, truly embrace it and integrate it into what they do. I mean, listen to this language he's using. Voluntary framework. There's nothing voluntary about it. They're going to let you know. Basically, they, they act like, just like with all these treaties for health, that it's, it's, it's voluntary. But now he's telling you how they need it, what? As a universal agenda. It's voluntary. It's transitory. So what is in this agenda for the large emerging middle-income countries, the Chinese and Indians? Are, is there a serious domestic conversation about what this agenda means to those countries? Is there a serious conversation about what this agenda means in the United States or in the rich world? Um, what about, what about non-state actors? Is the private sector, which is actually going to play an important role as to whether or not these goals and targets can be achieved, are they adequately engaged? So this question about how do you make sure that there is, that this agenda speaks to the range of different countries that they see some self-interest in engaging seriously in this agenda? They need self-interest. See, earlier, right it's discussed that it doesn't matter about self-interest true competition is going to be eliminated via agriculture but now it's a big deal now we're going to allow it again everything is selective it's all double speak as well as non-state actors the private sector cities um, civil society more broadly how do you get that to happen is a really, really important question. And my fifth um, and my fifth and final kind of point is that at the end of the day, I actually think getting to September and look how absurd that is. And in, an indigenous woman puts up a solar panel. Now look, again, if you can live off the grid, if you've got solar power and then the battery capacity to keep that with the generator, good for you. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. In fact, I, I, I truly do believe that solar could be harnessed where I think that's one of the things Kurzweil is telling the truth about that we've only really been able to get like one ten thousandth or even less. I think one ten thousandth is, is, is the goal of solar power that could power the entire earth. And I think there are other methods, but again, Free and fair energy is just, it's its no bueno. Let's just look at it at a military standpoint. Think about this. 
let's say you didn't want to crush the populace and control them. You could sell it to the military types that if you had an unlimited amount of energy, this would make it possible for just about any nation state or possible private entity uh, to challenge you militarily and develop weaponry based on that, have no limitations. Just saying, just saying. It's one of the arguments. I don't necessarily agree with it. Getting a decent set of goals and targets is the easy part. What's going to be hard is what happens the day after, right? The implementation. How do you actually get this integrated into how national governments, uh, state governments, the private sector build policy, make decisions? Uh, you all know the business school literature. 60 to 90% of corporations fail, not because they have the wrong strategy, they just didn't execute well. The same thing applies here. How do we get real execution? And so there's a lot of real execution. And he's, he's just outright telling you, how do we get these people to implement it into policy? Color of law, corporate policy, et cetera. Effort now to try to get a set of leadership countries that are really integrating this. So you have countries like Switzerland, Colombia, Costa Rica, Sweden, Rwanda, a set of countries that are starting to demonstrate what will it actually look like to integrate this agenda into their own national planning processes. We need to see more of that. We need to support that because at the end of the day, it's the actual practice that will mobilize and inspire others. So with that, I mean, my, 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 my kind of sense is that um, I'm, I'm surprised that the process has gotten as far as it has in terms of what we have. There is no doubt it can be much better. There is no doubt it can be much better. Oh, they're so happy with how far it's come. And I understand why. The propaganda is heavy. You know, the average person out there has no idea what's going on at all, especially if they, you know, grow up in a household that's either just totally, completely unengaged in politics or one that's constantly watching uh, mainstream media, even if that includes Fox or not. Like, again, Fox ain't that great, everybody. Ain't that great. But for a process that is a political process that is going to be shared by a lot of people, it is a very different creature than the MDGs. This is not a set of focused um, issues where ODA should be targeted. This is about a vision for what a future world should look like. This is a vision for what our future world will look like. And what will it look like? With stakeholder capitalism, woke capitalism extends well beyond rhetoric of public, uh, public relations campaigns and advertising campaigns. It's more than merely uh, uh, placating coastal liberals, ingratiating the left liberal legislators, uh, or avoiding the wrath of activists. This does not explain it. Rather, woke capitalism includes substantial changes to corporate behavior. As wokeness has escalated and taken a hold of corporations and states and vice versa, it has become a demarcation device, a shibboleth for cartel members to identify and distinguish themselves from the non-woke competitors who are to be starved of capital investments. The point here is that the, the needs of, at the same time, the needs of society go unmet 
because a woke or stakeholder capitalism puts the interests of the vast majority under a woke agenda that dictates what is produced, how it is produced, and thus what can be purchased and by whom. Wokeness is a selection mechanism for dividing the compliant from the non-compliant for business and in addition to individuals. Just as non-woke individuals are canceled from public life, so too are non-woke corporations canceled from the economy, leaving the spoils to the woke. Corporate cancellations uh, are not merely the result of political fallout like uh, with uh, my pillow, but rather they're being institutionalized through the stock market, the banking industry, the insurance industry, and other industries. Uh, and I'll talk about that in a minute. So this environmental, social, and governance score, this ESG, I liken it to a, it's kind of like a, um, a credit, social credit score for corporations. Um, it is a way of uh, squeezing out to reward the in-group and to squeeze the non-woke out of existence. Woke, wokeness, uh, woke investment drives capital away from the non-compliant. The collectivist planners use this ESG index uh, as an admission ticket into the woke cartel. Uh, this is a cartel scheme. The collectivist planners uh, aim to vest as much control over production and, uh, and distribution as possible in these woke contingents. Research suggests that this ESG investing favors uh, large over small companies. Uh, so woke capitalism vests as much control over production, distribution, et cetera, to these woke corporations as possible and more so as time goes on. Uh, so woke capitalism is really a monopoly game uh, and not just the game. Uh, of woke monopoly, which actually was put out by Hasbro uh, not so long ago. So the woke cartel, which I've referenced, it is noteworthy that this is not a bottom-up activist grassroots movement. This is being driven from the top. Uh, as Nathan uh, Worcester of the Epoch Times wrote, the internationalist uh, global, globalist nature of the ESG is nothing new. In fact, the term ESG uh, originated through a collaboration between the United, United Nations, the Swiss government, and a group of major banks that included Morgan Stanley, Deutsche Bank, Credit, Credit Suisse Bank, and Goldman Sachs. The ESG is a, uh, is a feature of this stakeholder capitalism. It is the mechanism by which it's being driven. Um, it is supposed to, to distribute benefits equitably, and it is a rubric for analyzing corporate behavior along these lines. Companies are graded by their, in terms of their environmental, social, and governance practices and plans. Environmental performance is graded in terms of sustainability with reference to the practices affecting climate change. Social performance, as I've said, is a grade in terms of well, how well these companies abide by and promote social justice 
the representation of certain minorities in graded terms, uh, etc. And then governance refers to uh, their responsibility towards uh, human rights and transparency, and I think how well they cooperate with the government. Uh, so now the ESG is not a, a good investment tool. Um, as, it, as it turns out, it does not pay as well as other investments. And uh, even though it looks like it does on paper, but in any case, any cases where the ESG seems to perform well, it's a function of the front end loading of dollars and money into it by these asset managers, these major asset managers. They're the ones that are driving this they're the ones that are driving this. And you notice I let him talk that whole time. The only thing that I wish he hadn't used so much was the term woke. All right. Other than that, I mean, he probably did a better job in that five minutes than I did in my first hour, right? Breaking down what every aspect of this means, okay? And how they're going to push you out and not allow you capital to start your business and then crush you if you're still able to start your business. And how this is a set, essentially a corporate credit score, correct? It is. So, man, we're at almost 20 after. I, I wanna play this Chinese social credit score because look, I'm not a Chinaphobe, but people have to understand that the outward model of what their social credit score is, is the model here. And a lot of people will say, well, you have an economic credit score here, but I've never had a credit card. I've never taken out a mortgage. I've never taken out a car loan. All, all that stuff, I, I never wanted that stuff. The only thing I ever you know, did loans for was uh, college in the beginning because I, I didn't understand the system. I don't want to buy into that system. The, the system used to be you saved money. You didn't borrow money. Okay. You obtained and maintained wealth and, and a real individual responsibility. All that's out the window. Now it's behave, command, control. This is what you can buy and how much you have to buy it with. If you don't like it, too bad. And this is where you can travel as long as you're a good boy or girl. Now, I got to be honest. As a kid, I could not wait to grow up to be an adult because the parenting aspect that was governing my individuality at times, I didn't like it. I couldn't wait to get, like, I talked to, to some people, oh, the good old days, you know, don't you miss, miss baseball maybe? get over that. It's like childlike almost. And, and I love the fact that I was able to play those things. I think sports important, but I don't long to be a child. I don't long to be taken care of at all. I, I didn't think things were easier then. People, oh, everything was so, no, no, no. There was a lot of things in my childhood. I'd never want to relive nor wish upon anybody else. Okay. Mistakes that one day, hopefully, I'll be able to be a parent and I won't um, make those same mistakes and have someone relive those kind of things. Okay? Period. 
Like, I don't think that's a, a terrible ideal set. So when, when you push this system of social credit and it's accepted by hundreds of millions or over a billion people via China, and you have another mouthpiece or vehicle for globalism, AKA the World Economic Forum saying they're the model, they're the model, that's the model. So let's play this Chinese social credit score clip. China has long been a surveillance state. Now big brother meets big data. In trials across the country, cameras and spyware are watching, mapping your digital footprint to every step you take. What you do, say, and even think is being monitored and marked against you. The party calls it social credit, a personal scorecard for 1.4 billion citizens. Rewards for good behaviour and punishments for bad. It's not fully operational yet, but this report will show you a vision of China's dystopian future, the world's first digital dictatorship. China's cities are already flush with cameras, around 200 million of them. What's changing is they're getting smarter. China is positioning itself to lead the world in artificial intelligence. Surveillance technology is a key proving ground. Facial recognition, body scanning and geo-tracking matched with your personal data and online behaviour will power the social credit system, leaving no dark corner to hide in. At the World Intelligence Congress in Tianjin, Big Brother's new toys are on show. Several of the exhibitors here, including tech giant Alibaba, are now working with the state to write the algorithms that will calculate your social credit score. They've already got the know-how and the user data from their financial credit system, Alipay. And again, this is an older clip. If you don't think that you have a social credit score, not only with the CCP, but with, with Apple if you use it, with Google, with a pseudo-government entity in this country, you're just being naive. You're being naive at this point because it's not just China. And a lot of this technology, quite frankly, is quite dated. Let's be honest. Manager of Alipay Tanjing is Chong Jia. 
呃，一个人一旦有了芝麻信用，他的在生活当中的点点滴滴的信用行为都会被记录起来，用数字去衡量他。那一个人如果信用不好 ，Our goal is to ensure that people keep 目标就是啊 ，sorry， that that keep their word。And if people break their promises, they won't be able to move an inch. <laughs> again, I, I I know you you didn't get to see that, but but like like let me read it again. Let me read it because it goes by rapid. Okay, he says once a person has a score, all their credit behavior in life is recorded. Okay, and can be evaluated by that number. Our goal in life, by the way. Our goal is to ensure that if people keep their promises, they can go anywhere in the world. And if people break their promises, they won't be able to move an inch. <laughs> no, that's not authoritarian. That's not dangerous. Sounds dramatic, but it's the party line. Pilot programs for a national social credit system are already underway. Again, this is very, very old. I mean, look at the iPhone. By 2020. The official outline boasts it will allow the trustworthy to roam freely under heaven, under heaven, while making it hard for the discredited to take a single step. <laughs> All right, we're with these SDG ones. These ones are a little bit shorter. We might as well hammer them out, and then we're gonna do um, RFK at that same Hillsdale event that you saw that other gentleman uh, speaking at, and he did a great job. Uh, I, listen, there are gonna be points that I just don't agree with Robert Kennedy Jr., and um, I, I'm gonna point those out because that's who I am. I, I mean, I don't think you can just we we have to have adult conversations, and you have to be critical when you need to be critical. And at a minimum, boards and investors need to have the information and have an opinion on whether that's good or bad for how well positioned the company is for that. And that's before you get that's that's to protect your downside. And that's before you get to actually being part of the solution, providing what people want. Well, I also think it's uh, it goes hand in hand with running a you know a good business because let's say now you you pollute and you have no plans, nobody's going to want to work for you. And nobody is going to want to buy your products, and your bank is not going to lend you money, and your insurance company is not going to insure you. So you are just not going to have a viable business. Yeah. Um, you hear him? I mean, that that kind of sums it up in thirty seconds, right? It's like you're going to do what we say, or you you're cut out. And and it, again, the Chinese social credit score is the individual microcosm of that. This is what the SDGs are. I mean. You look at this broadcast; it's been just hammering home with clips and facts and their own words. There's no end to this stuff, no end. G fans, short commercial for G fans. Well, I'll now insert a short commercial for G fans, uh, which is we've agreed uh, amongst the 550 uh, members. We've agreed for everybody else, 550 members. We've agreed. 140 trillion of dollars of assets. That this is what we expect from companies yeah. for those plans. We just agreed that for COP27. So, well, there is some better and best practice out there. Now that's going to start to come through the market. 
complemented, reinforced by what you're doing um, at the Sovereign Wealth Fund. So I think this is the time where we're establishing that best practice. Yeah, the best practice of monopoly fascism, the technopoly. Remember the Hillsdale individual highlighted this is a monopoly move? It's exactly what this is. At Rio Plus 20, the United Nations Global Compact mobilized the business community, paving the way for more meaningful private sector engagement in shaping the sustainability agenda. Any business that continues to operate under its own self-interest will not be around very long. Think about that. <laughs> You're no longer beholden to actual stockholders. Now it's stakeholder capitalism. You're not allowed to look out for your own interests. So businesses that have a strong purpose, that understand how they can make society better, will be embraced by society and will be around for a long time. It is so decided. Since 2015, the 17 Sustainable Development Goals and the Paris Climate Agreement have provided the most powerful common agenda that the world has ever seen with an essential role spelled out for business. Oh my God. Look at these people. Look at these people. If every company could align with any of the goals, we're all going to be in a better place. I truly believe that companies who do not put sustainability, the SDGs, in their strategies, they're going to disappear. Consumers themselves are becoming, are actually demanding from the businesses. They become more, more responsible and actually support the SDGs. The United Nations Global Compact is leading the transformation ahead, challenging companies to take more ambitious action on the sustainable development goals. Take action on the sustainable development goals. They're not going to be around. It's a transformation. You got to be in a trance to buy that shit. That's yeah, a transformation, all right. Not a good one. All right. Here we go. It's RFK Junior time. Thank you. I'm very, very happy to be here. Can you hear me? If you can't hear me, raise your hand. Uh, I'm really happy to be here. Um, it's, uh, although I've never been here before, it feels like a, almost like a homecoming because of um, the, the incredible uh, role that this institution played during COVID-19, where it was the only college left in the country that really stood up for freedom. And, you know, when this college was established in 1844, um, abolitionists were despised by the vast majority, 90% of the people in our country uh, hated them and thought they were crazy and that they, um, you know, they're, that they were unrealistic. And it wasn't really until three years into the Civil War that, that, um, that it flipped. And that, you know, the president came out and freed the slaves and he couldn't do it um, because the just the, the public uh, antipathy for abolitionism. So um, it's really this, this 
institution has an extraordinary history and it's been very, very faithful to the values upon which it was established, which is this love of freedom, no matter what public opinion, no matter what the public cost, no matter who pressures you to stop, but to stand up for it. And it's really a testimony to something special. And, and that is something special in today's day and age, individual or institution, right? Say what you believe because you believe it, no matter how many other people believe it, no matter how many people are telling you to shut up, and no matter the threats that are imposed on, on you or the possibility of other types of losses, not only financially, but within human relationships. Stand your ground. Say what is true is true, no matter what. I like me some RFK. The investment that has been made here, not in building a pile, te teaching students to build a pile for themselves, like most colleges and whoever dies with the most stuff wins, um, but instead uh, building character and demonstrating character. And, oh, thank you. Um, I'm going to, somebody last night, asked me about how I, I got into the, you know, the anti-vax racket, um, and which I'm not anti-vaccine, although um, I'm kind of the, the poster child for the anti-vax movement. Um, but I, I'm, you know, I, I've been an environmental attorney for now 40 years. Up until 2005, that's all I did. And then uh, that year, I, I ran a, a group called Hudson River Keeper, which I represented for 40 years, commercial fishermen on the Hudson and recreational fishermen, suing polluters who were destroying their livelihoods, their property values, their communities. And, and they had a business model. We have the oldest commercial fishery in the, the country on the Hudson. The people I represented for 40 years, many of them came from families have been fishing the river continuously since Dutch colonial times. It's a traditional gear fishery. And I want you to listen to this because this is important. This is really encompasses everything we said. Those companies aren't going to be punished for polluting the water because it's not carbon, right? It's actual pollution that destroys the lives of actual people as well as our actual food supply. And these are the people that we have to put in charge, the ones running those companies that have been so benevolent so far, that have now tricked us into ignoring actual pollutants and actual poisons on behalf of a net zero agenda. One for all, all for zero. They use the same fishing methods that were taught by the Algonquin Indians, the original Dutch settlers of New Amsterdam, and then passed down through the generations. Um, and they had a business model that worked for three centuries. And then they were put out of business by polluters who had political clout and who were able to manipulate government agencies, capture and manipulate government agencies in order to escape the discipline of the free market and force the public to pay their production costs. And they had turned the Hudson Valley into kind of a uh, not free market capitalism, but 
corporate crony capitalism and this corporate kleptocracy, which really is about socialism for the rich and a very savage and brutal and merciless brand of capitalism for the poor. And they saw this happening. And, you know, I fought for them for 40 years, but in 2000, but our, we were successful. I, I brought over 300 successful lawsuits on the Hudson by the year 2000. We had forced polluters to spend three and a half billion dollars remediating the river. The river, when I started working there, caught fire. It turned colors, depending on what color they were painting the trucks at the GM plant in Terrytown. It was dead water, zero dissolved. And by the way, he's not lying. Uh, just so everybody understands, my family is in the Hudson Valley. Until uh, I was 12, I lived in Wappingers Falls, Poughkeepsie, uh, Fishkill. Moved around a lot as a kid, but within Dutchess County, down where he's talking about. Um, family in Newburgh. I, I mean, the the Beacon Bridge, the Hudson Beacon Bridge over the Hudson. I mean, the H Hudson River is a staple. And I'll, I'll tell you right now, like starting in the 80s, things got bad. Got bad. He, he saw it firsthand, guys. Oxygen, 20 miles north of the city, 20 miles south. Um, Today, it's the, it is an international model for ecosystem protection. It's the richest waterway in the North Atlantic. It produces more pounds of fish per acre, more biomass per gallon than any other waterway in the Atlantic Ocean or the equator. It's the last major river system left in the in, uh, uh, Atlantic that still has strong spawning stocks of all of its historical species of migratory fish. And the miraculous resurrection of the Hudson inspired river keepers on waterways all over the world. Uh, we became the biggest water protection group in the world. We have 350 water keepers. Each one has a patrol boat. They each patrol a local waterway and they litigate against polluters. And we're a law enforcement organization. We have great environment. And again, we're not talking about carbon pollution. You want to know what you've never heard this issue? Why it's never discussed? Because it's not part of the ESG program or the sustainability goals. Okay, that's it. Because they want total and complete control over the food supply on their terms. But, laws, but because of agency capture, they're almost never enforced. And so, but we're allowed to enforce them under, you know, a provision called the citizen supervision. In uh, 2003, the National Academy of Sciences published a report that showed that every freshwater fish in North America, 10-year study, was, had, was contaminated with dangerous levels of mercury. And so the, the water keepers who... Think about that. I talk about mercury all the time. That's another real thing. You know, runoff from coal plants, mercury. Again, a real issue, a, a real danger to human beings but hey there's mercury in the thimerosal in some of the shots so it must be okay also not they're not talking about that all those nice little global boobity boop programs and the shots that contain what thimerosal and mercury that are promoted by the un and the world health organization weird represent fishermen 
or particularly, um, you know, this seemed to us like we were living in a science fiction nightmare where my children, the children of every other American, could now no longer engage in the seminal primal activity of American youth, which is to go fishing in the local waterway and then come home and safely eat the fish. And those companies had privatized the public commons, a resource that is owned by the public to make profits for themselves. They had privatized, they, we no longer own the fish. You know, the companies who are doing that polluter, which is coal burning power plants and cement kilns primarily. So, a lot of people were suing coal plants, but we were suing them, the water keepers were suing them on mercury. And I had 40 suits going by 2005. And I was traveling all around the country talking to crowds like this about mercury. And at almost every speech I gave, this group, these groups of women, and they were different at every place, would come and sit in the front row before long, they'd show up early. And then when I was getting, when I finished, they'd wait and they'd ask to talk to me. And as it turns out, they were all of them were the mothers of intellectually disabled children. And I just want to say, the other great part of this story is he's telling you his journey on how he started questioning traditional vaccines. Now, obviously, this would have been too hot to handle. And we talked about it over on the YouTube end. Okay, because of the mercury runoff, real pollution from coal, one of the actual problems with coal. We've discussed it on the program many times. Okay. But then injecting people with it via thimerosal as um, a preservative, preservative in these shots. And all of a sudden, th this unraveled a whole new world of corruption to Robert F. Kennedy Jr. You know, which, which is, I mean, we're on this journey together, folks. And it shows you those women made a difference. Do you know those women's names? The question is, would a guy like me be behind a guy like this had they not intervened? Shows you what incredible power all of us have. That's every single damn one of us. All of us have as human beings. And they all believe that the vaccines had caused their child's injury, particularly mercury vaccines. And they would say to me in a very respectful, but also kind of vaguely scolding way, if you're really interested in mercury exposures to children, you need to look at vaccines. I didn't want to do it. I had spent a lot of my life working on the issues of intellectual disabilities. I was raised, was part of the DNA of my family. My Aunt Eunice, who was also my godmother, started Special Olympics. Uh, I had been working at, well, in Special Olympics, which was then called Camp Shriver, since I was eight years old. Every weekend as a hugger, as a coach, I spent 200 hours as a teenager uh, in high school working in Wasaic Home for the Retarded. My, um, my family, my uncle was chair of the health committee for 50 years. My family wrote a lot of the legislation that gave rights and changed the entire relationship with, people, with uh, individuals with intellectual disabilities, the most vulnerable population in the country. But I didn't want to do that for my life. 
I wanted to work on fisheries, on water pollution, on energy. And so I was dodging these ladies. And, I, and look, I like this because we're all faulty. But persistence, I mean, that, that shows results. And being able to admit you were wrong is a big deal. And then one of them, one of them came to my house, found my house on Cape Cod in, um, in the summer of 2005. She was a psychologist from Minnesota named Sarah Bridges. She had a son who uh, got severe autism from a mercury vaccine. He had gotten a $20 million award from the vaccine court, which recognized his autism came from the vaccine. There was no controversy. And she didn't want it to happen to other children. And she showed up at my house and she took out of the trunk of her car a, a stack of studies about 18 inches deep. She put it on my front stoop and she knocked on the door. And when I came to the door, she pointed to the pile and she said, I'm not leaving here until you read those. And I, uh, I, I'm accustomed to reading science. I wanted to be a, a scientist when I was a kid. And my, um, my, the kind of law that I practice involves a lot of science. So almost every suit that I brought has involved some kind of scientific controversy. And I would not be better, very good at my job if I didn't enjoy reading science and if I could not read it critically. Oh, wait, wait a minute. I, th I thought you just trust science, Mr. Kennedy. I thought I thought you just trust what experts tell you about science. You're, you're reading science and you're thinking about it critically. That's Matt. That's like doing your own research. My goodness. So I sat down and I didn't read the studies, but I read the abstracts and I got about six inches down on that pile and I was just dumbstruck by this huge delta between what the public health agencies were saying the science said and what the actual peer-reviewed published science was saying. And I started after that doing what I always did when I didn't understand something I had because of my name and my family's relationships with these agencies. I could always get the head of an agency on a phone very quickly. And I started calling them and asking questions. I got Francis Collins from NIH and Kathleen Stratton and Marie McCormick from Institute of Medicine. And they told me something weird. I asked them about science and I realized they were completely not conversant with it. They were just parroting this phrase, safe and effective. Whoa, wait, 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 parroting a phrase. It's almost like, you know, Bernaysian PR has been around for a while. And again, the safe and effective thing has been around for a while. Like, I'm glad he used that term because we've played clips that are decades old. Safe and effective, safe and effective, safe and effective. Did I mention they were safe and effective? They hadn't read any of the actual science. And when I asked them about details, they said, you have to talk to Paul Offit. Well, Paul Offit is a vaccine developer who's a partner of Merck's. And, you know, I had been working with with EPA for many years, suing about probably 20% of my losses were against EPA, which is a captive agency. But 
captive by the oil and chemical and pesticide industries. And, um, you know, EPA, if I, if I call a, a science guy or a regulator there, they're going to have some self-respect. And they're going to try to answer my question. They're not going to direct me to a coal industry lobbyist. So this was bizarre. And then when I talked to Paul Offit, I, I caught him in a lie, like a, uh, and which I'm not going to go into. I'd love to go into, but I'm going to. Um, I, I I need to conserve my time here, so take my word for it. And but he knew I caught him in a lie. I knew, and there was that moment where we were like, "You are just a liar." Talk about liars a lot here. We play a lot of liars here. Lawyer is sometimes another word for liar. I like to think that Mr. Kennedy here is one of the more honest lawyers. Not all lawyers are bad. And uh, he realizes when he made a mistake and he's doing the right thing. And, uh, and so, so then, uh, then I realize, okay, these guys either don't know what they're doing or they're lying about it deliberately. And then I realize these agencies were completely captured, but agency captured on steroids. FDA gets more than 50% of its budget from the pharmaceutical companies. CDC has a $12 billion budget, and $5 billion of that, so almost half, goes to buying vaccines from these companies and then distribute them. So if you work at CDC, you do not get promotions by finding problems with vaccines. You get promoted by increasing uptake. And, um, and then NIH is just an incubator for pharmaceutical products. So it develops the vaccines hands them over to the industry, hands them over to the universities, which then get NIH money, 200, $300 million to do phase two and phase three, phase one and phase two trials. Then if those are successful, which they always are, because they make them successful, they then call in the pharmaceutical company to do a phase three. And then they all divide up the royalty, the patent margin rights, and then they all go, you know, then Tony Fauci, who's the head of NIH, walks it through the regulatory process at FDA and CDC, where he's picked the members of the panels who are all taking money from him. I mean, that sounds like a totally fair system and not corrupt. Look, there's more of this I want to play. I know they got another uh, show coming up. It's on Wednesday. I'm actually shooting a couple more shows for AMP today right after this. Uh, so I think we're going to leave it at that. Uh, it's been another jam-packed episode with facts and basically the devils speaking out of their own forked tongues continuously. I want to remind everybody, not a right or left issue. Okay, not just communism, the CCP, socialism, et cetera. No, this is about global collectivism on the road to a transhumanist nightmare. Check out all my documentary films, Loose Change Final Cut, Fabled Enemies, Invisible Empire, and New World Order Defined, and Shade the Motion Picture right now for free everywhere. I want to thank everybody that came over to the paid portion of the broadcast. I love you guys, and I'll see you on the flip side.